He works. So I mean, no pressure, Ben, but I hope off screen you're just holding some photos and some cherished memories from this movie. Well, I'm not. I didn't direct. I, you know, hate to break it to you, Eric. I didn't direct Saint Jack. So wait, what? Where's that? Where you have like something that you scripted on a napkin that was like a Ben? I said it was Ben Bogdanovich coming on. We need to talk about this real quick. Now, are we are we recording now? We yeah, are, I but we are. It's okay. Shit. We're two minutes in. <laughs> yeah, we are right, recording. Okay. Yeah. Well, it's. Yeah, I mean, so we can. Uh, can we get into it? Pictures podcast, <laughs> where we're gonna watch every movie released by New World Pictures. Uh, I'm Ryan. With me, as always, is Mark. Hello, how are you? How is everybody today? How are you? How's everyone feeling? Hello, Los Angeles. <laughs> and Erica, Mark, Ryan, you need to eat something or you're gonna die. <laughs> <laughs> and joining us for this episode, we have a special guest. He is a screenwriter and he is the author of the book. Kinda hot, the making of Saint Jack. Ben Slater is with us, everybody. Hey, are you, oh, well, Ryan, I can't believe you've got the book. It, it arrived. I have it in my hands. It arrived today. That's so, amazing. Uh, uh, yes, I'm very excited to dig into this. This is fantastic. Uh, and of course, we are here gathered uh, to talk about. Are we? Do we have to bow our heads? Is that, <laughs> please, like, just, please. I just want to make sure. Hold on. Yeah. The, okay. Well, this right. is. Uh, we, let's get ceremonial because <laughs> okay. we are talking about 1979's Saint Jack. You've been to Saint Paul before, haven't you? No, I, I haven't, but I've always heard it's very pleasant. Yeah. Well, it depends on what you like. Now, what did you have in mind? Hey, you're not a squash bear yourself, by any chance, are you? No, Bill. I drink. <laughs> What are you drinking? Hot chocolate, sonny. Women here are also attractive. They're all guys. You're a punks, aren't you? Hard to say what anyone is. Personally speaking, I can never bring myself to pay. Million people make love for so many crazy reasons. Why shouldn't money be one of them? Huh? That black girl, Judy, just left. She's so beautiful. Yeah, she is. You be careful. I should forget about that house of yours, Jack. But it doesn't strike me as a very popular idea amongst the Chinese community. You too, busy man. There ain't no use you just around you now. Now, I like you, but I ain't turned you down. You Italian? That's right. Italian, good lover, bad husband. That's what my mother always said. <laughs> That's right, 1979's St. Jack, sponsored by Xingdao Beer. 
If you are enjoying a plate of shrimp by the docks, you need to drink it down with Shingdao beer. You're going to need it because that shrimp is probably going to make you sick the next day. And you're going to have to shut down production of the movie that you're shooting in Singapore. Brian, I'm, I'm impressed you've already read that, that chapter. <laughs> you know what's funny? You just I, you say that. When I was watching that scene, I was thinking... Oh, I wonder if that if that if they got sick from that because I mean just eating <laughs> shrimp you you never know what's going to happen so yeah speaking of this is directed by Peter Bogdanovich who is coming off a string of flops prior to this he did Daisy Miller at Long Last Love and Nickelodeon and was looking to get his career back on track after finding huge success to start out his career with the Last Picture Show What's Up Doc and Paper Moon so he went back to guess who his former employer Roger Corman who gave Bogdanovich his start with work on The Wild Angels and also his directorial debut, Targets. In fact, in this book, Peter Bogdanovich interviews, this is what he says about coming back together with Roger Corman. He said, I got involved with Roger because I wanted to make the picture as inexpensively as possible because I wasn't sure if it had great commercial chance. I thought it would be good for his company if I did a picture with for him, and it would be good for me if I did a picture with him because he certainly knows how to do pictures inexpensively. It was a very tough subject matter to be a commercial <laughs> film in hindsight. <laughs> that seems a callback from a previous episode. Yeah, the, yeah. It's, uh, the heart of the stag director. Um, this slightly less uh, difficult to find commercially, but yes. Peter and Roger are very fond of each other. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, they had a very good relationship. I think St. Jack did test that, especially afterwards. Um, I mean, obviously, Peter had burned a lot of bridges with the studios because the three films that you just mentioned had not done very well. And he wanted to sort of get away from having all of that interference and get back to kind of this very pure sort of low-budget filmmaking. And I think Roger was Roger was offering him that at a price that he could do, do stuff if he wanted to work on a low-budget Roger, he knew Roger was artistically going to leave him alone. Um, mm-hmm. So that's why, partly why he went back to work with Roger. And I, and I, mm. I say this, but I don't know with any authority whether it's true that Peter is the only sort of Roger Corman alumni director who went on, had, you know, major studio success and then went back to Roger. I don't know whether you mm. guys know of any other example of that. I don't know many other examples of that. To be honest, most people moved on from Jonathan Kaplan to Jonathan Demme to were there some people? Jim Wynorski kind of stays with him. I'm just thinking of various people. But, but did Jim Wynorski have major Hollywood studio success? Yeah, I was about, no. to, I was about to say the same <laughs> <Yes>. thing. No, <laughs> no. Did you just lump in Peter Bogdanovich and Jim Wynorski together? Only on this podcast would that such a thing happen. But I mean... You guys haven't seen the doggone movie series, so you don't know. You don't fair, know what. Fair, what, fair. <laughs> but yes, uh, speaking of Bogdanovich, this is written by him, also playwright Howard Sackler and Paul Thoreau, who wrote the book that this is based on. Yep, yep. Um, though the movie, and I, I think you have seen, you've read the the book, Ben, but I have not. Yes, indeed. So the, the movie is much different uh, than the book. Yeah, but it is the sort of the spirit and the general character and scenario of the book is more or less intact. They just, Sackler, his main contribution was to come up with a way of structuring the story because Paul Theroux's book, which he wrote after a few years teaching in Singapore, he sort of 
started it when he was in Singapore and then finished it in the UK is mm. about the same character, Jack Flowers. He's this pimp. And it sort of starts with him meeting the William Lee, the accountant character. And then, you know, huge spoiler alert, guys, uh, William Lee dies. And that's quite <laughs> early on in the book. And oh. Sackler's oh. sort of, and then it goes into a long flashback. So the whole right. history of mm. Jack, oh. his life, how he got to Singapore, uh, and then it builds up to meeting the CIA guy and, you know, getting the, the offer to um, blackmail this sort of mysterious other American figure. And, mm-hmm. uh, and it includes all of, most of the episodes that you see in the film. So there's the stuff in the brothel in the old house. There's stuff mm-hmm. about the R&R camp with the American soldiers. I mean, all mm-hmm. of those things are there, but William Lee is only in the first part of the book. He's like a trigger mm. for all of the flashbacks. So they they came up with this idea of having him recurringly come back, which is actually a brilliant idea. Um, mm-hmm. Yes, yes. It separates everything into like three sections or three mm-hmm. acts. But um, there, this is also uncredited on this is Sybil Shepherd, yeah. who, who actually is a producer, an uncredited producer. Her production mm-hmm. company creates this because she had a, uh, she was with, Peter Bardanovich mm-hmm. at the time and shortly thereafter not with him. Uh, <laughs> this is the film this is the film that broke that relationship. Yes. <laughs> Correct. Yes. Yes. Oh. They they got together after the last picture show and then this Well, during ended. during the filming of Last Picture Show. During yeah. the filming. Yes, he was married at the time and this sort of ended to that Polly relationship Platt, who to, we should mm-hmm. mention, a very important yes. figure. Incredible figure in his career and she continued to work with him. Had two kids with Peter Bardanovich and continued to work with him on Several films after, which you know, that's that says a lot about Polly Platt. So that's it's strength of character there for her. Mm-hmm. And um, but but this one sort of broke up their relationship. She had uh, a, basically had a lawsuit with Playboy. Just correct me if I'm right about this, Ben. But she had a lawsuit with Playboy because if right, correct me, me if correct I'm correct me if you're right. Correct me if I'm right. <laughs> okay, just want to make sure. You, so far, you're correct on everything, <laughs> Ryan. I'm, which I'm means ass- you're wrong. <laughs> I'm assuming. I'm always assuming I'm wrong. So this is this is where I, hopefully I'll get it correct. But um, she she had a lawsuit against uh, Playboy because they had taken some pictures of her naked in a last picture show and and had printed them. And so she had a lawsuit against them. And in that, she'd found out by Orson Welles had given her a copy of this book. And she found out that actually some of the chapters of Paul Thoreau's book was published in Playboy. And they had the rights to the book. So in her settlement, with, outside of getting an outstanding amount of money from Playboy, she also got the rights to 50% of this book. And then went about writing a first draft of the screenplay. How did I do? That, that that sounds pretty good to me. I think you think you've got some things in there that I didn't even know. Um, you know, I, I never found out the exact terms of the settlement. Yeah, I mean, it's basically what you say. So Last Picture Show was, uh, this is sort of pre-digital screen grabs where basically Hugh Hefner would set up a camera or have someone set up a camera in front of a projection of a film and then he would photograph nude images and reprint them in Playboy. And that happened to Sybil. And uh, they would do these Hollywood issues, like sex in cinema issues. And Sybil said, no, I, you know, I didn't give permission for that. So she sued. It just so happened mm. that Orson Welles, who was Peter Bogdanovich and Sybil's long-term house guest in their, in their mansion, uh, was talking about this book, St. Jack, by this young American writer called Paul Theroux, who at that point wasn't really well known. It was way before things like Mosquito Coast 
made him a much more famous writer. Ah, yeah. And uh, it just so happened that Theroux was one of the young writers that Hugh Hefner was supporting. You know, he'd published Theroux's earlier work and he published short stories, mm. you know, when Playboy was more of like a literary magazine, right? Yeah. And right. somehow, and I don't really know why, but Hefner had the film rights to St. Jack. Um, huh. And it so all of these things coincided. You know, Sybil was had some leverage over Hefner and then Peter and Sybil both wanted to help Orson because Orson was really into the idea of adapting St. Jack as a movie. Um, and that's how it all came together. And there was a settlement worked out. I don't know whether Sybil actually got cash or whether it was just rights, but Hugh Hefner obviously retained some of the rights because in the contract, he ends up credited on the film. Yeah, and Hugh Hefner so a is lot a of producer. People, yeah, yeah, he's like an exec on it, and one of his one of his other one of the guys that was a one of his main film producers because Playboy did do a number of film productions uh, that were sort of quality films. Um, uh, is also credited on the film. It's a guy that actually died fairly recently called Edward Ryson, I think, and so that ends up becoming really significant in terms of the future of Peter Bogdanovich's life, because that's the beginning of a relationship he has with Hugh Hefner, uh, mm. which ends up taking on some really tragic dimensions. Yeah. You're talking mm. about Dorothy Stratton, uh, which is his yeah, yeah. Sub subsequent relationship. Right. Yeah. Uh, so this, this. is, it, 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 it's funny because that re this relationship already begins with like a bit of a conflict, like, you know, the fact that he's, that Hugh Hefner's sort of taken rather, big liberties with the nude imagery of Sybil. And then it sort of becomes friendly and then it becomes really friendly. And then it really goes very dark. And Peter yeah. is extremely angry with Hugh Hefner and wrote a book about what a terrible right. person he was called the killing right. of the unicorn, right, yeah. which is about Dorothy yeah. Stratton as well, because he, it the is, next but, movie, but, he, but, he, but yeah, Hefner comes in for some big blows in that book. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah, and, and that's the movie they make right after this. They all laughed. That's Peter Bogdanovich's movie right after this, which has Dorothy, With Dorothy Stratton, Stratton in, it. in it. Yeah, yeah. Going back to Sybil Shepherd, she did not participate in the movie, but did she visit Singapore at all? She did. She did. You'll you'll get to that chapter in my book. Yeah, she came and uh, she saw Monica, who was the lead actress in Saint Jack, and she saw how Monica looked at Peter. And this is a story she rec recounts in her memoir, and she was like, "Oh, okay, mm. this is this is over now." Oh. Uh, I, you know, I think they had a pretty chill relationship, Sybil and Peter. You know, I think yes. they were both kind of having affairs. Uh, famously, Sybil with Elvis Presley. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, they had sort of a quasi-open relationship, but this one was a for some reason this was just too one step too far for Sybil, and uh, she decided it was over after that. And I, you know, I don't know about the the credit on the film why she didn't put a name on it, but she put. Shoals Creek, which was the name of her production company, which is named after where she was from in Memphis, I think. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. But I know that she had a good relationship with Peter afterwards. Yeah, she does move to back to Memphis after that. After the, she knew it was over, she does move back to Memphis. And then does Moonlighting? Is that is that the that's lead? in the eighties? Few so years we're later, seventies mark. Just <laughs> okay. a little right. bit. Just, just a, that. Can, that's are we on. talking about moonlighting in this episode? Yeah, we. Well, we <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. But she 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 does move back there, and she actually released uh, a album of cover songs called Vanilla, which she recorded in Memphis, which is released a month 
after St. Jack is released in 1979. Wow. That's what she did. And then she marries in Memphis and has her daughter. So she, she rebounded uh, very quickly. Wow. Um, well, she, she had done an album of sort of kind of classic songs that Peter mm-hmm. sort of produced, I use inverted commas here, prior to that. So she'd already tried to have this musical yeah, career. She had done a, yeah, she had done a couple albums beforehand. So this is, I think, this isn't her first record. But uh, this movie stars Ben Gazzara, who Bogdanovich says is the only person he wanted for the role. Uh, I'm not sure if that's 100% correct, but he uh, he had met him doing a small bit part, I think, in John Cassavetti's opening night. That's and right, yeah. Uh, ben Gazzara and was like, this is the guy I got to be in this movie because of the way he said he always acted like he was on set, like he was always directing people and doing stuff. He said, this guy is, is perfect, which he certainly is in this movie. Mm-hmm. I couldn't imagine another person playing this. It's another yeah. reason why he goes to Corman, because Corman would have been familiar with him because Corman produced a movie called Capone with Ben Gazzara playing Capone which he produced for 20th Century Fox prior to this movie. So Bogdanovich knew that Corman would be on board with Gazzara and would let him make the movie he wanted with the star that he wanted because he felt uh, Bogdanovich felt that if he went to a studio, they would make him recast. There was talk of Paul Newman, which would have been interesting. Peter, Peter tried to set up when Orson Welles was trying to direct the film. Peter tried to set him up with Jack Nicholson, right? Mm. And I can I can see that I can see yeah, Jack Nicholson in very the much. And then yeah, I could see that. And, he, and Jack Nicholson said he would do it for a fraction of his regular price. But then Orson, I think, didn't he start which to... was still more than Roger would ever spend? <laughs> well, and he, but see, Jack Nicholson also knew uh, he'd started out with Corman, and they were oh, long oh, they friends. Were but by that time, very he was good not, friends. Yeah. yeah, yeah, he was not going to be like, yeah, I'll do he, Corman money. He he might have known for Cor- he for Corman he might have who knows, but but I think that uh, Orson started talking himself out of it, and then all of a sudden he wanted to cast Dean Martin. I read instead of huh. Jack Nick Jack there was Nicholson. A Dean, there was an idea for Dean Martin, like Dino the Italian um, connection. Yeah, Jack is being a lot older as a, a as a much older character in his kind of like mid to late fifties, I guess. Yeah, I don't think I would like that version. <laughs> I don't think that's a good choice. When did Orson Welles get? Okay, he Fat? was going to direct it, but then he. <laughs> sorry, <laughs> that, that had already happened by that time. Yeah, but he he was on the verge of doing Dark Tower commercials at that point. But um, how did that? I don't know the history of how that happened. Like that, you had Orson Welles potentially doing this. It's it's a, it's a little bit hazy to me, even though I did ask uh, Peter Bogdanovich about it. Essentially, it seems that Orson just sort of drifted off the project and lost interest. And they were they kept on trying to kind of get him back onto the project once they had the rights. And Peter's story is that he really wanted to do it for Sybil because Sybil was mm. now financially involved in this project. Mm-hmm. And so that would suggest that maybe she didn't get much money from Playboy, if any. And the, the whole oh, thing was just okay. rights. She she did say, um, I should just say, Ben, I have a quote from her from the LA Times that she oh, mentions great. in May, May of 1978. She says, remember how I sued Playboy because they ran these nude shots of me from the last picture show? Well, part of the settlement was I got a half share in St. Jack. I'd wanted to buy it ever since Orson Welles gave it to me to read. I didn't even know Playboy already had the rights. So when they settled the action, I got 50% of the property and a lot of money. Oh, that's brilliant. Okay. Yeah, I never knew that. That's fantastic. Wow. So, well, you know, Pete, yeah, Peter's story was always he did it for Sybil, but I didn't entirely believe him 
I think he wanted to make another film. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. he sort of let this one come to him. It wasn't necessarily something he was like super passionate about, but now all the pieces were starting to come into place. And I think, okay, I'm going to do it. Um, it was, you know, it's very different from films that he's made before and also the films he made since. So it was kind of an unusual project, but he liked the idea of just taking it on and kind of mm-hmm. executing this film and it being kind of a bit of a lark, a bit of an experiment. We'll go to Singapore, a place where no one makes films, where we're very, very far away from Hollywood. And there's no industry there. Well, yeah, he, he, his impression was there was no film industry there. That's not entirely accurate. I mean, there was a bit more oh, to okay. it than that. But uh, yeah, that was his, his dream was just to sort of go as far away from Hollywood as possible and make a film and see what happened. And there was, it was yeah. very low stakes, basically. Yeah, he had, I'd read a, a quote from him where he was saying like, he, after making those three movies that didn't do well, he wanted to take time to just like figure out what he wanted to do. And he wanted to spend some time immersing himself and figuring out what kind of filmmaker he wanted to be. Certainly, this seems to have fit that bill. Um, this is where you can watch St. Jack. And may I just say, please watch St. Jack if you haven't. You really <laughs> need to watch this movie. And luckily, it is in a ton of streaming services. It is on Tubi, Plex, Freebie, Shout TV, a lot of places. You have no excuse. We watched this on the Scorpion Blu-ray, which has a commentary from uh, Peter Bogdanovich and a Mr. Ben Slater as well. Yay. (laughs) (laughs) You can hear a lot more of me if you want on that commentary. Yes, yes. And I did. We need to talk about this movie, what this movie is about. We need to talk about what St. Jack is about. Mark, let's start with you. What is St. Jack about? The early days of Jackie Treehorn. Yep. (laughs) Yep. I mean, before he made porno movies Mm -hmm. in The Big Lebowski, this is what he was doing. You you, you start your trade somewhere, and this is where he started it. He graduates eventually from Singapore and moves to... eventually. Los Angeles and starts yeah. uh, in the porn business. It's a natural yeah, he progression. Would have, he would have had to have cleared up all his um, sort of visa problems and uh, <laughs> yeah, you know, I mean, the fact that he was he's wanted in a, in the book. We find out that he's wanted for a trumped up drug, drug charge in America. That's why he can't go back. Oh, well, okay. I mean, th- that's the boring middle movie between <laughs> Saint Jack and Big <laughs> Lebowski. That's like the French Connection right. middle part part. But right. this is what we don't see. The, the scene we don't see is him grabbing like a net and just going in and scooping out those pictures and going actually real quick <laughs> actually I've, I've thought about it as I was walking down the, the pier and you know what uh, I'm going to get those pictures in yeah. get that 25 grand and get myself uh-huh. back to America actually uh-huh. no, that would that would it. be a very depressing ending yeah. <laughs> yes. yes like, you know, Erica said you wanted to keep watching it when that's what you see. Uh-huh. Just watch the Big Lebowski and you've got the rest. <laughs> that's it. Um, ben, let's go to you. What is this movie about? Well, you could say it's about an expatriate struggling in a competitive marketplace without the luxury of a secure work visa. Yeah, no, that's, uh, good. that's, that's sort good. of the unspoken. <laughs> that that's is the it. unspoken that's thing. Uh, right. Um, you could say it's about what happens if a sex positive pimp from America meets a repressed English accountant. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. Yep, yep. You could say that. And the other one I was thinking about on the bus yesterday was it's, you could say the film is about the question about whether it's possible to be Hugh Hefner and be a good person. 
And the answer is no. <laughs> and you, can, you can think about that one in a few different ways. Uh-huh. Yes, for sure. Wow, that, that is fantastic. Erica, what is this movie about? Everybody's good at something. Yes. <laughs> Nice. So everybody's yeah. good mm-hmm. at something. something. This what movie that something is that. is sometimes a little yeah. vague, but yeah. right, right, yeah. Sometimes it's vague. Sometimes it's taking care of others. Sometimes yeah. it's making food out of not much, and, al- yeah. and also selling smack on the side. Yeah. Uh-huh. Sometimes mm-hmm. it's putting people in in um, connection with others. Sometimes yeah. it's what a way to put that. Sometimes it's uh, livening a room mm-hmm. or a situation. Yeah. Sure, sure. And sometimes, sometimes it's just it's letting cockatiels go free in your apartment. Go free. They're not cockatiels, Mark. Cockatoos, cockatoos. <laughs> oh, There's God, a difference. God. Sorry, <laughs> Stan corrected. Correct me if I'm right. <laughs> Uh, these are all terrific. For me, I felt like this movie uh, shows me that a writer is always this close to giving it all up and running a brothel in a foreign country. <laughs> At all yeah, times. Yeah, and I think, I think that, that, comes from, that comes from Paul Theroux. I mean, I think he that was sort of like a little bit of a fantasy. You know, he was mm-hmm. in Singapore in the late 60s and he wanted to be a famous writer and he wasn't. And I think that was kind of the daydream. Like, what if I was 25 years older and a pimp in this place? (laughs) Right. Here's what the uh, letterbox synopsis is. Ben, are you on Letterboxd? I am not, but I am aware of it. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) That is a very diplomatic answer. Um, Letterboxd synopsis is this. Jack Flowers is an American hustler trying to make okay. his fortune in 1970s Singapore and small-time pimping. Right. I mean, I think, he, I think he goes beyond small-time. It gets pretty big, actually. I think if yeah. he was small-time, he wouldn't be in the danger that he's in yeah. right. the majority right. of the movie. Yeah. They don't They don't uh, dot your arms with tattoos of, of uh, terrible phrases yeah. if they think you're small-time. But, yeah. okay. His dreams of building a fortune by running a brothel himself and returning to the States is materialized when he is offered the opportunity by the CIA to run a brothel for the R&R activities of U.S. soldiers on leave in Singapore. I think they're getting confused between the offer of running the R&R camp and then the blackmail yes. offer at the end. Yes. Yeah. It's like, yeah, I think his it materializes in the really late in the game in the movie when Bogdanovich playing the CIA agent gives him that opportunity to go after the senator. But, I mean, not... Great for Letterbox. This is pretty. This is pretty decent for Letterbox. I have. Oh, to, really? But he's him. also broke. Yeah. And by the time he gets to run the R and R camp, like this is yeah, because they out they, of options. They, well, they ruined his first house, so he has right. to like so, basically has to start over. So yeah, I get the feeling uh, that it, Jack Flowers is not saving much money. He's he's yeah. not no. he's not, not screwing <laughs> no. it away. No. I think he's spending pretty no. much what yeah. he's yeah. earning. Um, mm-hmm. And therefore, yeah. every time each thing collapses, as it does, he's basically back to the beginning again. Yeah, yeah. It's the equivalent of paycheck to paycheck, but in the brothel world, which I'm not sure how that actually works out. Is that <laughs> per transaction paycheck? Either way, he's, he, what's going in is going right out. He hey does, yo. yes. <laughs> which is a little bit... V- <laughs> Mark, which is, hey, we got it, we got it, Uh, which is a little vague of what it is that he does, because he does keep returning to his day job 
But do you guys well, know I can, what I I could well you guys tell me what you think his day job is. Mark? Uh drinking scotch out of highball glasses? <laughs> If that is a I mean, paid job, he is—he's the CEO of he's that. Crushing it. <laughs> he's killing it, absolutely killing it. Also, I wouldn't mind getting that line of work. So, anyone that wants to. Also, we don't drink a lot of whiskey out of highball glasses anymore. Like that no. was a very seventies thing. It was. It was. Got to bring that back. Yeah. No, We've that's just not his job. On. We've heard that's true. <laughs> okay. Okay. So I'm wrong. A- Erica, okay. what do you think he does for a day job? I thought he was just like an entertainer for expats for his day job. Like when they came into town, he just showed them a good time, showed them around Singapore, made sure they felt comfortable, entertained. It, when it, it felt very much like if like depending on the person and their comfort level, like you can have a good time. We're going to play music and have drinks or you can have a good time and I'll hook you up with a certain person. Sure, sure. So this movie, one of its many good qualities is the fact that it doesn't explain everything to you yeah. unless you just in the world mm-hmm. and you know if That's you right, figure yeah. that if if if, if you Including figure it out you figure jumps. it out yeah mm-hmm. big time jumps that you yeah. kind of don't realize are time jumps until then all of a sudden you get a piece of information like oh i guess we're a year later oh yeah. okay yeah. yeah but so it eases you in now i think what he does cuz he goes down to his buddy gopi i think he supplies people on boats with supplies yes is that what he yes. does Okay. Yeah, he's oh. he's he, he has a job. He's a ship's chandler, which is a, a kind of job that doesn't really exist anymore. Where he's sort of like a local agent, so he'll be based in Singapore. Obviously, he's based at that office, which is run yeah. by those two guys, the Hings, Little Hing and Big Hing, mm-hmm, who are mm-hmm. great characters. Oh, and, yes. uh, so he, good. He is the intermediary, basically, with Western ship captains so if a ship is coming into the port and at this point the singapore port is one of the main industries of singapore um he will make contact with them and find out what they want and that would include food and supplies for their next stretch of their voyage and of course it also involves women so the 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 day job and the night job do work together and in that sense you know erica's right you know it's all about just keeping people happy who are new to town and then it's more (laughs) obvious in the book yes it's more obvious in the book that he he goes and kind of chats people up so like the guy that he meets who he takes to boogie street he will just kind of meet people and and start talking to them and then he will do his pimp thing so there's the pimp thing and then there's also the ships thing Mm -hmm. but the ships thing does involve some pimping as well and actually the original opening sequence for the film which is very briefly referred to was him bringing out girls on boats to ships uh, which for some reason they're called Coca-Cola girls and mm-hmm, mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. they get caught mm-hmm. in a storm. So there was going to be this opening scene with him getting caught in a storm with a boat full of girls, but they realized it was a nightmare to film and they just couldn't afford to do it. I was just going to say, but would he been have been drinking scotch in a highball glass? Because I want to go back to my, I think I'm still right. I think I'm still right. That nope, is his Eric job. was right, Mark. Eric okay. was right. But to go back to our opening. <laughs> Correct me if I'm right. Yeah, no, you're wrong. Erica's right. You're all right. You're all right, guys. Oh, thank you. Excellent. See? See how comforting that feels? Feels good. Feels good. You are right. Feels good. It's like a a weighted blanket that's on Mm. me. I feel good. Yeah, it's like I can sleep with security. Uh, And overheat. I'm going to overheat. And and I'm too hot. And then I can't move. And I'm stuck. And now I'm sweating all night. (laughs) 
<laughs> this movie starts a lot of the New World movies and a lot of movies in general, but certainly a lot of New World movies start with white letters over black. And so just to talk about the very beginning moments of this movie, it starts with this almost 360 degree shot starting in the harbor, going into the city and back. And it's almost like the movie signaling to us that have been watching. I've been in a strict diet of New World Pictures movies for um, on four years now. And it felt like, oh, well, this, this is something different. This is not the usual stuff. Right. Because all of a sudden we had this just incredible shot with just the sounds of the city. Yeah. I couldn't help but think a little bit of, you know, Orson Welles' original intention for um, Touch of Evil, just with that opening shot of just allowing the the sounds of the city to sort of like get you into it rather than a big giant score. And no score from Battle Beyond the Stars playing. It was just... <laughs> right. Hadn't, hadn't right. been made yet at this point. But yeah. Yeah. Right, right, right. I, I still feel like, though, Roger Corman could have found a way to get that music into there if he'd really, you know... Yeah. But any subsequent yeah. releases on, on video, you know, he could have found a way. But it makes the it very opening... immersive from minute one. Yeah. Just, yeah. You're yes. you're into this you world. In. You're dropped yeah. in from that opening shot. And it's and it, it, it rewards patience because by the time you get to the end of the film, you realize you've been to that location before. Mm-hmm. 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 Totally. Yeah. Peter said in an interview that he if he could have gone back and changed it, he would have ended that shot with just a little glimpse of Jack mm-hmm. so that it connected up to the next shot, which is where he arrives. at the, He's walking through the street mm-hmm. and arriving mm-hmm. at the office. Mm-hmm. But I actually don't agree. I really like that shot with no characters in it. Yeah. There's yeah, something me very yeah, meditative about it. Yeah, mm-hmm. and, and that's the thing I was going to get into next, which is that I feel like what that shot opens up, which I think is very true of this movie, is that another character in this movie, outside some of the characters we're talking about, is the city, is the country and city of Singapore, which to me is a character in this film. Yes. Singapore is a huge integral part of this movie, not just because that's where it's all located. It is like a part of this movie. He made this movie and immersed it in Singapore. And it's a huge uh, character. And and Ben, you live in Singapore. This is I do, your I home. Do. Well, <laughs> I, I, there's a couple of things to say about that. One, you know, I imagine in 1978, 79, the knowledge in America, particularly of Singapore, must have been absolutely minimal. Yes. Uh, and so yes. it was a, to, quite to a big... To the point of like looking through articles, it's often they say it was shot in Manila in a lot of like right. which, news which, articles. Which Roger wanted... That's what Roger wanted. Oh, okay. Which yeah. He, yeah, because he had shot so many movies in, in the Philippines. So well, he was absolutely. very comfortable there. Yeah. yeah. So Roger was really pushing for Peter to do it in Manila uh, with, you know, with the gang, with Roger's gang of, uh, you know, sure. Sirio Santiago and all the guys over there. Mm-hmm. But Peter was really fixed on it being like very authentic to the book. And that was that, that desire to be really authentic became like a major motivation for making the film Mm -hmm. and for including all of the details about life in Singapore into the film, the sounds of the images and like loads and loads of little bits and pieces, like the way people speak uh, all gets crammed into the film. And it's in a way, it's a little bit of a mystery about the film, which is why Peter was so into all of that when he didn't need to be, you know, it could have Mm -hmm. been a much more kind of crude sort of colonial film with, you know, white characters in an exotic backdrop 
Um, but he really tried to make sure like all of Singapore seeped into the frame. And that's why I think the film, one of the reasons why the film is so great. Um, mm-hmm. But it's also really interesting in terms of like why Peter did it. And, uh, you know, what did Roger think when he saw it? Uh, which, which I kind of know. I mean, he, I think he liked the film, but realized it wasn't very marketable. Um, yes, that, that was and, the theory I was going to get to. Is that uh, that was my theory was was about how he sold the film, which um, but I, I'll, I'll I'll get well, into. We can more talk about research, that later. But, but I yeah, was going to yeah. ask you guys, what's your knowledge of Singapore? Like, what do you know about Singapore? Watching this so, film, and well, Eric and I have been there. Aha. Uh-huh. So we're experts. We have been there once. Uh, we went there to do a job out there. So we um, we do have a job. That sounds kind of sexy. Yeah, yeah it, it sounds does. like you you were assassinated yeah. somebody. Yeah, yeah, we did. We did. Oh, well, Please I didn't want to say it, but then you called cool it out. Dangerous. You're basically yeah. international hit people. Yeah. Correct. 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 Uh, but we we did go to raffles. We did have a Singapore sling. We did. We did walk through the rainforest. So that moment where. Uh, Peter Bogdanovich and yeah. Ben Gazzara walk into it, and you can hear all the bugs and all the... The whole island used to be like this, you know that? Uh-huh. Ten degrees cooler, too. Yeah. So we did... Uh-huh. So, you know, we tried... We only were there for a few days, so we um, we tried to do as much as we could. Did you feel like you learned about Singapore by watching St. Jack? Well, I'll answer, mm-hmm. since I've never been there. No, because I figured things have changed a lot since 1979. It's it's sort of like looking at a movie made in New York in 1978, 1979. It's going to be – it's drastically different. So I kind of looked at it like that may have been like that then. I doubt it's like that now. But it didn't change the way that I viewed the movie. I thought it was like a, a really interesting time capsule. What I was curious about, and maybe you can answer this, is how accurate it is. And I'm not saying that you were there at that time, but – maybe through your research, how accurate was it to that time period? Or was it trying to present an ideal or a viewpoint of Singapore for Americans or for, you know, the the other parts of the world of what Singapore is or was at that time? I I mean, as I said earlier, there is a tremendous amount of authenticity in it but it captures the a kind of expatriate experience. You know, it's obviously mm-hmm. not the experience of an ordinary Singaporean. Uh, it is very much from the point of view of uh, a foreigner, who, but a foreigner who's been in Singapore a while. And in okay. that sense, it is very authentic. You know, okay. and the world that it presents, which is mostly central Singapore, its hotels, uh, it is, you know, Raffles Hotel, it is sort of tourist sites and things like that. But it presents it with a kind of jaded knowledge about like behind the scenes of those places. It's not wide-eyed. There's a certain kind of cynicism. I mean, they had been in Singapore from, they started shooting in April, I think, and they'd been there since January. So this is not the usual thing where you just come in a couple of weeks before you start filming. Uh, They had been there for three months at least and really got to know the place as well as they possibly could. Uh, And a lot of that kind of ends up you know being sort of squeezed into the film, all of their sort of local knowledge. So in that sense, it is authentic but one thing that to note is it is a period piece it was shot in 78 but it's set a few years earlier because you see that nixon in china uh right. newspaper right. and, and of right course it's set over several years war. yeah yeah and the vietnam war so it is meant to be in an earlier time and they would have been aware you know that things had changed in terms of the gangsters i mean by the late 70s singapore was pretty cleaned up in terms of gangsterism 
Uh, there was still some, but it wasn't so much of a big thing as it would have been in the late 60s when, when Paul Theroux wrote the book. Uh, you know, he told me that they would often see dead bodies in the in the Singapore River. Uh, hmm. That was all over now. And I think probably the, the sort of vision of prostitution was highly romanticized. Uh, again, hmm. it would have probably been like that maybe 10 years, 15 years before. But by the hmm. time you get to the late 70s, it was much more, it was pretty icky. And they were, they were doing their kind of version of that. It's interesting that it's set just a few years earlier than it's actually released. Not unlike the Big Lebowski, which is also (laughs) set a few years, (laughs) only a few years before it was actually released. So funny. Apparently, they saw St. Jack. That's all I can say. (laughs) Oh, I'm no doubt the Coens saw St. Jack. Yeah, no doubt. Yeah. I mean, the casting of Ben Gazar in that movie is not, is not, uh, it's just too convenient. Can we quickly talk about the casting of Denholm Elliott as the, as, as Lee, who's sort of the fish out of water? who might be the best actor at playing a fish out of water character of all time. And yes. Like, uh, can, I mean, years I, before he played Dr. Dr. Marcus Brody and uh, right, Raiders, Raiders right. of the Lost Ark, but it, it had where he would also of, continue that, that mm-hmm. tr- tradition. But yes, exactly. And I was like watching him in this, this after of course, watching him in as, as Dr. Marcus Brody, I, I thought, man, he nails that type of role. And then I started thinking, who are my favorite fish out of water actors? <laughs> hmm. So, hmm. okay. Interesting. Top, top three, top three, just really okay. quickly here. Okay. Ooh. Okay. Ben, are you, you can prepare yours while we do this. <laughs> I, I think I'll leave, I'll leave you guys to the fish out of water actors. Go for it. <laughs> Tom Hanks, okay. because look at him in like, Big and splash, bosom buddies, <laughs> but really Cast great away. fish. <laughs> Castaway, yeah, fish out of water. There, I mean, Polar uh, Express. <laughs> I'm not sure about that one. <laughs> Dan <laughs> Home Elliott's co- co-star in Raiders of the Lost Money Ark. Pit? I would say Har- is Harrison. he a fish out of water? Money Pit. He, he is. He is. Uh, look at that. Wow. It's a money pit. He's he, he is might the be fish not out, out of water. water. He's but he is out of his depth. <laughs> yeah, he's underwater. Actually, we're still helps, we're still on Mark's number one, right? We've still got more to go. <laughs> right. So, okay. Thank you, number ben. two. Thank you, Ben. Ben, thank you, thank you for moving us along. I'm going to say Harrison Ford, Del- Denholm Elliott's co-star, The Fugitive, regarding Henry, regarding Henry, yeah. Working Girl. I mean, okay. we've got some here, but I would say my number one is Jessica Harper, because. In Suspiria, okay. she is the ultimate fish out of water. <sighs> okay, because I would have said Brendan Fraser and uh, Encino Man is my no, ultimate. Well, you know. <laughs> okay, okay, Ryan. Okay. I mean, hey. we're talking That's ultimate. Fair. I mean, let's stick with the classics. Okay. okay, so what's your number two and three? Come on, let's hear it. I think you guys should do the fish out of water thing, but only New World films mm, ben, but just just ryan. for listeners ryan uh, like frequently say will say no no mr stoney no more wheezing the juice he <laughs> this, says this constantly that is a, that is so, a thing i say a lot if you want to be like if you ever run into ryan mm-hmm. that's all you have to say you won't it won't take like, me long know to utter that phrase it is a phrase it's my catchphrase <laughs> it may be borrowed but it's still mine <laughs> no. i've used it enough that it's mine at this point 
Well, listen, <laughs> I, I totally agree about Denim Elliot. I think it's an absolutely brilliant performance. It is. And all, in all seriousness, no, in, in all seriousness, yes, he is, yes. he, his introduction so to the movie good. and that whole first chapter when he's first there is fantastic. The, watching him, he just lands and they have to go run from people that are watching them. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. He's taken yeah. to one brothel, then he's taken, he, every time it's a, he's about to have a drink, but he doesn't get the drink. And he's talking about trying to find partners to play squash. He he's, never gets the game of squash. He never, never gets, gets them. It. He's mm-hmm. introduced to Froggy and Yates and Yardley and Smalley. And he's like, <laughs> there's so much that happens. And I was thinking, imagine you travel somewhere and this is your introduction to where you just landed. I, I remember landing once on a business trip that I was sent by myself to Berlin. And in between landing uh, and getting in a cab and getting to the first train, I lost my phone and I was completely fucked mm, from that wow. point forward. And I didn't go to a brothel, then go to a bar, then get chased by people on the street. I don't know how he did it. That is amazing. Well, he he does say later in the film, when he comes back, he does say, God, it was a memorable night. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which is the most polite way to describe that night because as, as someone who suffers from like mild social anxiety i was like he handled that like a pro i would have yeah. been a wreck after that night yeah an absolute wreck i'd have been like i'm never going back that was my worst nightmare well i think i think the idea is that he was kind of really into it right i mean it was suddenly something exciting in a fairly yeah. dull yeah. life but you know the scene yeah. where they go to Booger street which is the place where the trans uh, sex workers hang out mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and that scene at the table where bridget comes and sits down yes i am oh i'm very interested in that Oh, really? I think you're, um, you're, you're Chinese. Yes, I'm Chinese. Were you born here in Singapore? Yes, born in Singapore, live in Singapore, die in Singapore. You know, if, yeah. you, if you watch it yeah. and think there's no script, you, you will realize they're all just improvising in that scene. And the way that Ben Gazzara interacts with the guys that come around with the sex toys. You boys want to buy anything? Uh, Many mum? No, no, Fred. Fred, take your monk and go home, huh? Give my love to your kids. Hey, how you doing, Max? Well, I'll be damned. You got a new line, don't you, Max? Where'd you get this stuff? (laughs) Yeah, I know. Take it home, Max. No sale. It is so funny, and it's so obviously they're just riffing. And, yeah. and mm-hmm. it really feels like the way that Denim Elliott talks to Bridget, it really feels like that's Denim Elliott. Like he's yeah, not yeah. really playing a character. He is just being yeah. himself in that moment. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. He, I also uh, don't he, think he really played squash. I think that was just like a thing you say. Maybe he, didn't he have played like a, it in the past, but his character's so right, sick by right. this point that I think right. it's yeah. not happening yet. Well, That's it's fair. like it's like when you go somewhere and you check into the hotel and you're like, oh, they have a gym. You know, I should make sure I visit that gym. You know, I should really go. <laughs> well, in the in the in the book, the whole thing about playing squash, he never plays squash in the book, but there is a whole thing about country clubs because that was really mm. like a status symbol in Singapore that you you had a nice house, but you also a member of a country club. And there is a lot of plotting in the book about Jack trying to get access to country clubs so that he can take Lee there and impress him, even though he's not a member. 
and having mm-hmm. to kind of like ah. bullshit his way into country clubs. And that was at one point in the script, but I real I think they realized that is really boring. Like the whole thing about who's signing the check in the country club, and yeah, it, it just yeah. it, there was a lot more about potential squash matches. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, as someone who mm. just worked out at the Senesta and El Segundo, <laughs> um, I would say that that was a plot point that I would have enjoyed. Oh, there you go. There you go. It's not for everyone, but it is for someone. That's well, I. I I do have the draft of the script that has the country club stuff, so I can send it to you, Mark. I'll, 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 yes, I'll, please. I'll scan it. Please. Please. <gasps> that would so be you great. Can, and you could read it while you're working out at that hotel, <laughs> oh which would God. be perfect. <laughs> uh, the other thing about it that, it that he says when Denholm Elliott comes back the second time is that he goes and he says to Jack, he says, I was thinking about our adventure last time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. He calls it an adventure. Yeah, which, that made me tear yeah, up. Yeah, which I think he got, he, I, it's like he, uh, this is like a moment for him, which that seemed like an everyday Jack has, the way he navigated those tables and kind of ducking behind, like he knew exactly where to go to try to throw those guys off. That's what I loved about that moment is was like that Jack's, Jack has outrun those guys many times. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. This for Lee, like that's something he will never forget the menace of that mo- of that of, of those that. guys coming after yes. him is so well done as yeah. it's sort of laid in again and again in the movie and there's often the time in that, that sort of first chunk where he's had those guys seen those guys and before he stops outside of his place and he looks around for them and you see yeah. him mm-hmm. and you you just don't get enough of that in movies yes. i always say like you we don't get to see characters think yeah <laughs> and this movie you get a lot of people thinking which is yeah. A huge bonus for this movie is that you get, you, know, get you get to know, you get to see what he's thinking about and you really get into his thought process and what mm-hmm. he's going through. And it's like, it's such a great way to connect with a character. If someone else had gone with me on that trip to Berlin and then gone back on the subsequent trip, I would have been like, remember the time I had a Windows phone? <laughs> 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 right, they well, could, and they could have. They would have been like, "I remember," yeah, but you lost like, it immediately. Oh my God. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mark, yeah. If, if that if you'd had a camera, a big thirty-five mil camera, kind of slowly dollying into your face while you were thinking about that Windows phone, <laughs> while you were beautifully lit been... by Robbie Muller. <laughs> I'm telling you, I'm telling you, opportunity lost right there. No, we it's... could we can do that. We can we can okay. recreate that. I think. Yeah, I but, hope so. But yes, I there are so. there are brilliant moments where a character is just there, and then the camera uh-huh. just moves in on them, and you do. Mm-hmm. It's almost like you're going into their brains. And you mentioned that piece uh, earlier, Ryan, where he looks at the different time zones. Yeah, and that yes. you know, a which, clock in the hotel. Yeah. I mean, that's a, yeah. just a beautiful bit of storytelling where he's obviously thinking about what if I wasn't here, what if I was somewhere else. But it's just all up to us as an audience to figure that out or not, or just see right. him looking at right. clocks. And the other great thing about that scene with the clock there is that was just there in the hotel for real, and it wasn't yeah. in the script. It was just a moment that Peter Bogdanovich thought, "Well, we have this giant wall of a clock. Let's use it." It's another wonderful use of environment, which he does so well on this. But while we're talking about the cast, let's talk real quickly about some of the other people in the cast. I have two people I really want to talk uh, sure. about. We'll start with George Lazenby. Yeah. Partly that this this movie is, for one, uh, shot in Singapore, but they weren't. Uh, he was trying to disguise the fact that they were shooting this book because it had been banned, correct? Yeah. He believed it was banned, but actually it wasn't ever officially banned. Okay. 
But there was this paranoia that they were going to get shut down if people found out what they were really doing. So they disguised themselves as a, as a fake film called Jack of Hearts. And they had T-shirts printed. They had crew T-shirts. Uh, Jack of Hearts is on all of the like the production reports. And, and he wrote the- like a... He wrote a treatment for Jack of Hearts, which he submitted to the government. So that treatment is a generous term for what, <laughs> like what a, it is. A twelve. Uh, have you read it? I, I yeah, I, I have it. This is where I should do the Harley oh. Cockless, and I should bring it out and show it to you. Oh but, my um, god! Yes, <laughs> yes. Oh my god! Uh, I can I can email you like a digital copy of it, but it oh it, that would be amazing. It does feel like it was just something that he cooked up by the pool one afternoon and that's pretty much what it was it's like a synopsis for a film it's not really a treatment it doesn't like go Mm. through scene by scene and it's just a few pages and it's you know it's partly set in singapore but partly in hong kong partly in america and so the idea was they were only in singapore just shooting a little bit of a film to try and take Ah. the heat off but the to get back to the george lazenby of it all there was a much more high-profile production happening in Singapore at that time, which was Hawaii Five-O. Oh. And it was this double episode of Hawaii Five-O, which is called The Year of the Horse, which was like their season 23, uh, you know, uh, <laughs> series finale. Sure. Uh, and um, so it was where they had the money to spend. And that one was really high-profile. They had to submit scripts. They had to change the script. Uh, they had to do all kinds of stuff to get it cleared because it was just such a big deal having Hawaii Five-O in Singapore. And among the cast of Hawaii Five-O, there were two villain characters guest starring Barry Bostwick. Oh, yeah, who, mm. of course. Who is really great in, the, in it. Oh, he bet. plays a kind of uh, a, a guy who's kind of gone native and is doing martial arts and and speaking in, wow. in in bahasa malaya malayu which is the one of the local languages and also uh george speaking Lazenby. it well does he speak it well or no what do you think he speaks it okay i mean i i wouldn't i'm, I'm not an expert <laughs> okay all right but the big deal was of course george lazenby was there george so late george lazenby is playing a villain correct in that episode those he episodes? was like barry bostwick's sidekick yeah which shows how great his career was going at that time. <laughs> right. Having already been James Bond. I think it just was convenience. I think, you know, so much of the film is like improvised and done on the fly. Like Bogdanovich claimed that he hadn't cast the character of the CIA agent, Schumann. So he just took the role. Uh, and they had talked about having Charles Grodin play that part. But right. nothing ever had came of it. So he's like, well, I'm here. We've got no one else. Let's just do it. And yeah. I think that Lazenby, he had dinner with Lazenby and Barry Bostwick. And I think he just said to, to Lazenby, can you do the part? And, of course, the part would not be necessarily a part that everyone would want to do because he's playing right. a gay character mm-hmm. or a character that's secretly gay. Mm-hmm. And But apparently Lazenby agreed to it. And, and well, we know he did because he's in it and, uh, and, and is really good in it. But I also he's, think Bogdanovich. Yeah, he does a he does a decent American accent because he is playing an American senator. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, it's not bad, it's, right? It's not mm-hmm. bad. Like you can hear uh, bits and pieces of his accent come through, but but generally not bad. It, it's not like George Lazenby played a lot of American characters. He, I think he's really good in the film, and I, I you know Bogdanovich wasn't a big James Bond fan, but he did like On a Majesty's Secret Service. You know, because it's good, because it's really good, because it's it is really well (laughs) made, really good. It's a really good movie. Uh, But he also kind of liked the subversive element of it. 
And, yeah. and of course, you guys know it's not the only James Bond reference in the film. Well, of course, we get to we have Goldfinger mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. early on. Not not just uh, the sound. She actually has the gold she fingers. Has, she is the fingers, <laughs> fingers. <laughs> That's what it sounds like. But that she has the actual soundtrack because she's playing music from the film outside. That she then she skips, skips to yeah. she skips to the theme song. Um, yes, which I, was another touch that I love. I love. But I have that a little touch. issue. She cleans the vinyl while the needles on the record, which would have made the sound warp. But okay, I mean, oh, you know, oh wow, things we hated. Okay, we got that. <laughs> All right. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, Bogdanovich told me that he got permission to use Goldfinger, and then when they saw the film after that, they said we're not letting anyone use Bond themes outside of Bond films for a long, long time. Wow. Interesting. That set the precedence, huh? I don't know how true that is or whether it was just kind of a boast, but yeah, he said they were furious about it. Amazing. Interesting. I wonder why. I really liked that they used Yeah, I mean, I understand the the, the content, but this isn't... The thing about it is, is that when you when we talk about because you, you used it, uh, uh, never mind. I'm not going to try to describe it because if I describe the scene, it's just going to make me look like or sound yeah, like a dirty. There is a dance to it. There is a, a there's, there's a, a dance. There's a, there's a performance. It's a kind of erotic show that's being performed yes. by two yes. trans sex workers. Let's let's yes. put it out there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. sure. But I yeah. think what's so what what I personally liked about it was it very much felt like. Oh, this is something that Americans like. Yeah, like yeah, yeah. This is a yeah. popular thing that Americans like, so we're going to use this song because it's going to like turn them on. Mm-hmm. So I, I felt like it was layer. I just, I loved it. Well, they, they had used they the actual music they used when they performed that show in reality was Thunderball. Oh, no kidding. Okay, yeah. So Bogdanovich, in my opinion, a better soundtrack. I wonder that because that little bit huh. that they play is I felt like I thought it was Thunderball at first, and then she skips it to Goldfinger. To yeah, the, maybe. And that's a good I was catch. Like, oh, that's because yeah. Thunderball is like my oh, personal, my personal favorite James Bond. Which me too. I, I, I have just loved that Real one since being a kid. Over here, and I and I and I realized that I, I'm actually <laughs> I think Mark and I are the same on that, and we are in an odd camp because Thunderball is not. It's not a popular well one. No. it's not yeah. no. beloved. But but it was Here's just one of those. We only we to had be fair though. It's not. It's one of many reasons you're both in an odd camp. Yeah, true. <laughs> just add it to a list of reasons this, you're in this camp podcast odd. being the main one. Yeah. <laughs> fair enough. Uh, yeah. The winner of the biggest mm-hmm. dig in New World yeah. podcast true. history. True. <laughs> it is up with uh, who didn't fucking like Batman Returns. <laughs> <laughs> Which of you I uh, didn't like? You guys turned on me so fast with that, like well, real fast. Like, you yeah. sold me up the river. Yeah, we really did. Well, you you were the one who hated Batman Returns. Yeah, I mean, yeah, well, you you, you yeah. need an answer for your crimes. Yeah, no, we Remind definitely me not to commit any crimes with you yeah. guys. No, we didn't push you in front of the bus. <laughs> we did pick you up and launch you towards the bus. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And yeah, for sure, for sure. hundred percent. Um, this is something I noticed one of the later times I watched it, not the first time I watched it, but Jack is actually at some point warned not to start his own brothel. Don't start a house. He's actually warned multiple times, multiple times. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And 
it was just another one of those moments where I think like watching it again, you just get mo- there's so many layers to the movie that you just get you get m- even more of a sense of it. Well, I think when it, when people are saying, oh, you don't start house and all this kind of stuff, you don't as an audience when you first watch it, you have no idea what they're talking about. Exactly. Right. Yes. right, right. Yeah. Yes. And then it's only when he actually ha- is in a house. Oh, okay. That's what they were warning about. (laughs) Right, right. Mm -hmm. And that's the benefit of watching this movie several times that there is a lot of layers to this movie, which they completely set up so smartly. And I also understood that the they had shot the movie at the wrong uh, frame rate. There's a lot of issues in terms of the filming. So the frame um, rate, the frame rate issue was simply a, a kind of uh, conflict between the, a European way of doing it and the American way of doing it. Oh, okay, okay. And, uh, you know, when Bogdanovich found out they were doing a slightly, they were shoot, they were shooting using like a slightly a, like a different down. amount of power mm-hmm. through to the lights. Uh, that was kind of had to be corrected in the frame rate. And I am no expert on any of these things. Bogdanovich <laughs> was furious about it and had a big tantrum. But I don't think it was really a, such a big issue, actually. Um, okay. okay. There, you know, you know, the fun part of my book is there is a little bit of a fight at the end, where you know, there. I think going back to like targets, you know, Bogdanovich had made targets for Corman and then sold it. It, it was considered to be such a good film. It actually went to Paramount, I think. Yeah. And it was released mm-hmm. by a major studio, so it became a studio mm-hmm. film. And I think. Bogdanovich really hoped that would happen with St. Jack. He thought it was good enough to go beyond the New World label and to actually be bought by a major studio. And the way that Corman works is there's very little paperwork, right? There's very little signed documents. There's there's no contracts. It's all agreements. And so he was hoping to essentially steal the film and take mm. it away, I mm. think, initially to Hong Kong. And sort of have complete control over the editing so that Roger wouldn't be so involved in the editing. And then he could show it to studios and try and sell it. Uh, in the end, that all turned out to be a bit of a drama about nothing because they did bring it back to Los Angeles. It was edited in Los Angeles. Bogdanovich did have complete control over the editing of the film. And he did try and sell it to studios. And they didn't buy Interestingly mm. enough, by that point, nobody was that interested in the film. So Roger ends up releasing it as a New World film. Um, yeah. But going back to the stuff about the filming, yeah, there was this kind of like chase at the end about who could get the film and who was going to have it at the end of the film. And Pierre Cottrell, who was Roger's guy, this really brilliant French producer, uh, was sort of jumping in a taxi and trying to catch Peter on the road to the airport to try and like get the film back. And there was all this sort of drama going on, which ended up with them all in a police station in Singapore, absolutely terrified. They were all going to get arrested because of course they they thought they were making a film illegally. Uh, So uh, uh, in the end, nobody was arrested and it all sort of went away, but it was quite a fun bit of hijinks to end the production. Uh, personally, I'm glad that they weren't able to sell it to Paramount because otherwise we potentially wouldn't be talking about it. We wouldn't be talking movie. about it. Right. <laughs> yeah, me too. Well, I, I, I wanted to ask you guys about the new world of it all because you are the experts on that. And it seems it came out in 79. For better or for worse. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, what was going on with the studio or, or the company at that time? You know, when Roger Green at the film. 
And then when they released the film, because 79 seems to be a really good year for New World, if you look at the releases. It's not bad. Um, and I'm not just talking about Star Crash. Yes, which, which <laughs> is released before, like a month before this. Afterwards, they release The Brood. That's what yeah. follows. Yep. Cronenberg. And then they do The Kids Are All Right from The Who, The Who documentary. And Up From The Depths. Yeah, which yeah. is a movie we talked about at the top of the year, which is a a Jaws ripoff that they shot in uh, the Philippines, mm-hmm. and uh, uh, done by Charles Griffith, who had directed um, Death Race two thousand. I think that this is a an unusual movie. Not to jump to New World's handling of the promotion of this movie, but I think without Bogdanovich coming to him, I don't think this is a movie they probably would have sniffed at. But Bogdanovich yeah, they, coming to... They were to, really into exploitation movies at this time. They were like, everything was about what's the exploitation trend and how do we capitalize on it? They were not looking for a no soundtrack talkie of a yeah. movie. Well, my theory, and this is what you... I had heard you confirm this, but my thought was because I'd heard uh, that Bogdanovich was upset with the way that they handled the film in terms of promoting it. And Roger has gone on and said, well... I think we did a pretty darn good job because he said we oversold the film in New York, which is where it opens in April 1979. And in doing so, he gets them to buy, he gets the foreign rights sold for, I think, $3 million. So he's made his money back and profit. Uh, So for Roger, that's like, hey. Which is the Roger way. That's like, (laughs) fantastic. Not, I didn't lose any money. It's made some money. Perfect. Now, a lot of people would say, well, now you've made your money back. Now you can push it and try to make more money. Mm-hmm. But to your point, my feeling was, I bet Roger thought this was probably not a movie he could market well. I read a quote of your book, which he says that he had thought of the script that, well, this is probably going to have some nudity in it just due to the subject matter. He hadn't read the script and confirmed it, but he assumed it. But there isn't really, it's not salacious considering what the mm-hmm. subject matter is about. It's not this big salacious. It's not showgirls. We're not watching it, like a movie it, of of a lot of naked women and stuff. But it's, it's equal opportunity, quite frankly. Yeah. Right. Yes. Right. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's 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 naked men and naked women. So it's and and everything the board. in between and everything in between for sure. Yes. He's used to selling something like Star Crash. That makes sense to him in terms mm-hmm. of something that he can sell. This is a movie that's not a movie that Corman can sell. And then there was an issue with they couldn't buy a lot of theaters. So uh, one of the guys that worked for New World, Frank Marino, he mentioned that there was they couldn't book it in a lot of stuff. Everything had already been booked. And the thing about booking a movie is that at that point, and Frank Moreno says this, he says, uh, uh, I don't I don't have the wedge of an alien or a film with Barbara Streisand to bargain with. Right. So you if you are talking to distributors, you can say, take this movie book it in your theaters and I'm going to give you this other film that I have coming back up. The, some big movie at the time that, that he could also say fit this little weird, unusual movie set in Singapore in your theaters and I'll have another big movie. So your, du- for you. your double so, feature, your double feature is going to be a tough sell is what you're saying. Well, you don't have things to bargain with because you have new world movies that follow this. You know, you're like, well, I got this movie, but also I have this really Up shitty Jaws. No- <laughs> I have this <laughs> shitty Jaws ripoff. You want yeah. that? Like you don't have, you know, so like it's a harder one for new world to kind of sell. 
yeah. I think Peter felt that Roger wasn't doing, wasn't spending enough, and wasn't pushing it enough. But that wasn't really what Roger did, right? I mean, not the first know, director never, to say that. Never. Not the first, not yeah. the last. That was not his thing. <laughs> that, and even a, and even after Roger with with Heather's, you know, it's the same problem again mm-hmm. and again. Same problem. Like when there is yeah. a really good film, it just so happens a really brilliant film is made and comes out of New World that isn't completely obvious and the way you would market it because it's not an exploitation film right then there is a struggle about how to release it it seems to me that they didn't have good strategists sure within the sure. studio to say here's the cultural moment we can tap into with any of these movies so you just sort of threw them out there and hoped for the best yeah i think that's kind of what he did and if you made your money back you thought don't spend too much more because we yep. made some money on this, right? We already made our money. Good enough. We're in, yeah. We're in the clear. No point in like spending all the profit we just you'd made. Because you have to spend to a little more else. to try and promote it more. Correct. So good yeah. enough. To get back to the cast, I want to talk about Monica because she's our female lead in this movie, and I didn't realize even that Bogdanovich and the uh, actress Monica Subramanian. Subramanian. I didn't realize that they were an item during the filming until I listened to your commentary. So. That was that was news to me, and uh, but she's great in this movie. Oh, so good! She's really good in this movie, and she auditioned for it, but wasn't planning to. Right? She wasn't even planning. She went with a friend to the audition. Yeah, I mean, it's a, that's a bit of an old story, isn't it? Where you go to the audition with your friend who really wants to be in the film, and then you end up being cast, and that that's that's the story she tells. Yeah. Um, no, so you don't, you're young... saying you don't buy, you don't believe it per se, or no? I I totally believe it, but I just think it's funny how okay. it's often the casting tale, sure. isn't it? Mm. Like you know, mm-hmm. that, that, yeah. they're, they're like, yeah, I don't want you, but I want your friend. Um, yeah, right. I showed up but, with my uh, pal Brad Pitt, but somehow I didn't get a part. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, she was not an actress. You know, she was just kind of like a young woman, kind of entering the, the the workplace at that time. And the challenge for her was that she had to play, she was Singaporean Indian um, and she was English educated and spoke fluent English, but she has to pretend to speak bad English, Mm -hmm. which Mm. she does most of the time, but there are a couple of scenes where she more or less just drops it. (laughs) Yeah. 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 That's true. And I, and I, I think if you kind of want to know what she was really like, the it's the prawn scene you know, that you referred to earlier when mm-hmm. she's just in that sort of tracksuit top and she's just hanging out with them. She doesn't say very mm-hmm. much, but by that point, I think she's not really bothering with the accent. And she, you, you just see, it looks like she's wearing her own clothes and yeah, she's right. not got that kind of any of that weird sari stuff. Um, and she, you just get a sense of, you know, she was incredibly beautiful and yeah. she was, very, she was pretty natural on camera. I think, you mm-hmm. know, some people get a little bit, like queasy about the non-professional actors in the film like they're not sure whether they're good or not but you guys you guys liked it oh i think that that, to go to non-professional actors gives it this sort of sense of realism and authenticity that i don't think you could have gotten if you had hired actors if you had really gone and found actors for all these little roles that's also in the introduction of her character she's very quick to talk about how men or boys uh, love this like too much fabric that she's wearing. Right. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking that's what are you talking about? And then I quickly learned we do love too much fabric. 
when treated the right way. Mm-hmm. So uh, I learned a lot through this movie. Just by <laughs> oh, that good. one scene. <laughs> Monica was supposed to do a nude scene. She was meant to be right. naked in that scene. Which I is- love that she wasn't. Yeah. That made the scene so much better. Yeah. Well, because it gives her agency, you know, it yeah. gives, she, she's in control of the moment, you know, oh, and, and it, I, it was, and so she's in control of her stuff of until the very yeah. end of the movie when she even decides I'm out yeah. and I'm going to head yeah. back home. And I think yeah. she's trying to see if he will, but mm-hmm. she's like, well, that's why she says I'm like what, stupid it. boys at the end or, or she always yeah. says stupid was sort of her refrain yeah. Yeah. throughout yeah, the yeah. movie, which again yeah. is another great little, you know, that she always yeah. calls everything stupid or people I think stupid. That, that I love that little refrain. Be her. That that is something that they picked up from the way she spoke and they worked into the script. Yeah, yeah. super God, good. It's so great. Yeah, so I, good. Yeah, it, she's fantastic in this movie. I really liked her so much. Um, speak. Get back though to Denholm Elliot. Uh, are there no hospitals at all in Singapore? Of my get- <laughs> he was very we- resistant. He Look, was very resistant. Yeah. Raffles is a lovely, uh, you know, sort of <laughs> dated uh, 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 architecture, which is sort of lovely to walk through. And I'm sure it has mm-hmm. a calming effect uh, to your heart rate. But, you know, rather than just buy him a hotel for, ticker. for his ticker, rather than buying him a hotel room for the night, which is certainly very kind and generous, perhaps a doctor. I don't know. Just saying. Maybe bring but somebody But he turned in. down the doctor, didn't yeah. he? He, he did. said Fine. he didn't go. Yeah. Okay, out. so that yeah, good, good point. He built that into it. But um, I was going to ask you guys, what did you think of Ben Gazzara or Jack Flowers' uh, CPR technique? Ooh, yeah. um, not up to code. Not yeah. up to code at all. I yeah. feel I'm no instructor, but I feel like he did it. It's it's a little bit off of the way that it's instructed. I, will I just, just went through that. it three years ago, and that is way off. Yeah, I mean, even by 1979 standards. Staying alive. Staying alive. Staying alive. alive. He does a bit of that, but he doesn't want to get in there with his mouth, does he? Yeah. No, no, he doesn't. No. He's kind of like, no. Blow in their face. I'll just say, (laughs) I don't. When somebody's (laughs) in the throes of death, you don't just blow in their face. If someone did three chest compressions and just blew in my face, I'd be like, well, this is it. It's this time is, for me I'm to done. go. I'm done. Uh, well, <laughs> I'm done. I guess I'll... Yeah, if, there was, if, there's one, if there's one thing I could change about the film, it would be that, that Ben Gazzara did proper moves in that scene. Yeah, and I couldn't I, tell if that was just cultural or if mm. he was like, I'm not going mouth to mouth on this one. Yeah. You so know, I wish I'd go asked... Ahead. Peter Bogdanovich about that when I interviewed him, but I didn't. Um, and, 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 and Ben Gazzara has also passed away. So mm-hmm. I, and I wouldn't yeah. have dared ask him uh, in my <laughs> brief conversations with him. Uh, but uh, yeah, I, I suspect that Gazzara just didn't want to do it. Um, to get to, I just wanted to get quickly your thoughts too, about the actual ending of the movie and what you guys thought about it. Cause he gets involved as we were talking about George Lazenby, he's being given an opportunity to take pictures Mm-hmm. Of the senator having an affair and make twenty-five that, grand and make twenty-five grand and get himself back to the United States. By the way, uh, just a bit, another bit of trivia about Peter Bogdanovich. He loves scenes in hotels with people going in and out of hotel rooms, sometimes in the wrong room, and you get that in a lot of his films. And mm-hmm. that is the mm. people checking into one hotel and then going into another hotel. There's a few <laughs> scenes like that. There's a scene like that in Paper Moon. 
there's a scene like oh, that even in his last film, um, hmm. uh, uh, which there's a new cut that's been recently yep. discovered squirrels of the last the, film. Squirrels to the nuts. And you get this whole hotel shenanigans. So that's the kind of, in St. Jack, you get this very downbeat, intense version of the hotel scene, which is a brilliant suspense sequence. It's if so you good. Watch, if you watch St. Jack with an audience, which I, I, you know, I've been lucky enough to do a few times in Singapore when we screened it, you know, the beginning of the film is really noisy. You talked about the noise of the streets mm-hmm. and all of that, mm-hmm. and there's music and it's very lively and it just gets quieter and quieter. Mm-hmm. And that last, mm-hmm. it's like seven or eight minutes where he's following the senator and then they go down and then he checks into the hotel and he mm-hmm. follows him in. He negotiates with the hustler. It just gets really quiet. And then by the time you're in that mm-hmm. hotel corridor and he's got the little camera and he's looking in his glasses, which is a brilliant little character bit, mm-hmm. it's just become so intense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then it basically ends. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it does. Yeah. 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 And it's shot from yeah, yeah. his point of view, that whole sequence. So that yeah. when he's watching Lazenby talk to the boy outside the hotel, you can't hear what they're saying. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which I yeah, feel yeah. like is a move that so many movies would tell you exactly would, would have their volume. But Jack can't hear yeah, it. So and from then, that distance, so you, you can hear it. La- Lazenby goes into the hotel and you can't hear him either. You, you stay outside. No. Yeah, yeah. You don't know what he yeah, says. Because yeah. Yeah. it's right. all about Jack's point of view. And we're, mm-hmm. we're right. going through the end of this with Jack. And so we're only getting what he's getting. Mm-hmm. Which mm-hmm. is so brilliant of, of Bogdanovich to do that. I, I, it's it, it's got to be the it, quietest climax of a film yeah, ever right. in terms of that is right. the climax of the film, that blackmail sequence. And yet it's so, yeah. so quiet. At first, I wasn't really sure of the ending. Like, why did it turn suddenly into this sort of spy drama? Uh-huh. But right. then I also thought... How else would this movie end? <laughs> right. You know, I, right. I, and I mean that in the kindest way. Like it, w- it made sense that also if you look at sort of where he started and then he had his house and then the house is ruined and mm-hmm. also times have changed. They, they introduced heroin in sort of chapter three. And like you see that like the world around him is changing a little bit too. And the and war has ended. Where, where so he, and the now, war's ended. So where, so does, he where, where does he go? Because he's going right. to have to restart now. He's going to have to kind of reset. But the negotiation with the 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 prostitute on the street. Yeah. It's two fifty. Count it. All right. Now give it back. What's the room number? One one five three. Another two fifty. Leave the door open. Don't worry, nobody's gonna get hurt. It's done with such incredible patience. Yeah. Like a real transaction would be. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I loved that because they they take beats mm-hmm. where you see that hustler being like, uh, okay, and it's not forced. And I I loved that moment. I don't know yeah, if this great. is for for for. Yeah, I agree too. It, it's terrific. But I don't know if this is his direction for everyone. But like Bogdanovich says in his commentary, in that moment, he was telling the guy who plays the hustler. To just look at him like he didn't trust him. Yes. And, and you he, believe it. He stares 
Gazara down in that scene. He's yes. not an actor. This guy was not an actor at all. And that's to back to what you were saying, Ben, about all these non-actors. I think it completely works because of all these non-actors. Because you're getting just people that don't have... That's what they're trying to do. They're trying to strip away a lot of the artifice of this movie. They're trying to get down to the real nitty-gritty of the performances and the thing. They were trying to throw out Hollywood stuff. Having a lot of people in the cast that were non-actors and just having them be authentic adds such a... Uh, you know, such a realism to the to the film but, in, in a world that I know nothing about. Yeah. Right? yeah. But, but can I ask you this, Ben, for that scene in particular, what I thought watching it was that was the first time that Jack is asking someone to do something other than pleasure slash entertain someone else. Mm. The whole time he's always telling it's always very straightforward with the girls it's like hey you know what the deal is here right you're going in you're an escort you're showing a good time whatever maybe you're having relations you don't that speak was, english and you, yeah, this is your first it was time, always right? very upfront, and this is the first time that he's asking someone to not be upfront and yeah. to kind of have this and so and it's I, not what he so, does and it's not what he does and, it, and you can tell uh, it, that he's even uncomfortable with it yeah well, so he's. I, I felt uncomfortable in it because I'm like, this isn't his strength. Right. He's not this good he at does. this. this. He doesn't yeah. want to be. You can. You can almost feel him regretting it as as the seconds tick by and the minutes tick by. He's like, this isn't what I do. I'm not this guy. I'm not. Yeah. It's it's everything. You know, it's the opposite of who he is, basically. Yeah. Which is all yeah. about you know, live and let live. Enjoy mm-hmm. what you want. Maybe I'll profit off it. Maybe I won't. But now yeah. it's actually about deceit and deception and judgment because the pictures yeah. are going to be used against the senator in a highly judgmental way. Mm-hmm. And he, he, he's had enough, you know, which, is, which mm-hmm. leads to that final scene where he says, fuck it. Mm-hmm. And that was originally, didn't he have like a longer amount of lines for that part before he says, fuck it? And they just trimmed it supposedly, down to him saying. Yeah, supposedly yeah. there was a lot more that he was going to say. Uh, and then they just decided, no, let's just scrap it. And he just says, fuck it. Yeah. Perhaps because he's actually crossing the street in real traffic. Well, I would think that he would have to <laughs> hey, cross the so road anyway, all the way. I was, going, I was going to tell you, this thing came up. and I, I can't One more hear time, you. Ben, but louder. One more time, hear. Ben. We can't hear you because of all the cars. <laughs> well, I love that moment, too, because getting back to when you asked us, like, our experience of... of um, of being in Singapore and what did we think when we were in Singapore, it felt very, I felt very safe there because it was like, this is a place where people follow the rules. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And the rules are very clear and they're very black and white and they're very transparent and everyone follows the rules. And in that moment, he's already broken his own code and now he's just crossing into traffic it all just felt so it, it it built so beautifully to that moment where like of course he's walking into traffic to be like fuck it because at this point he's already crossed all of his own lines so he's that's like, a great yeah, point yeah i'm just gonna yeah. walk into traffic and say fuck it because i've already i've already done things, done I, things I, wouldn't I wouldn't have done, have done yeah. anyway yeah. so and at this point he's dealt with a lot of things he loved and things he hated. Oh, wow. oh, thanks, Mark. Thanks. Mark. Mark, moving us along. What yes, a beautiful we're segue, Mark. We're going to talk about the things we love and the things we hated about St. Jack. Mark, let's start with you. What's something that you loved? 
Um, something I loved is he talks about later on the movie how he wants to like get a mansion and he's gonna have like peacocks or birds or mm-hmm. he's you know gonna have all these smoking things cigars and, and smoking yeah. cigars and all this, but he has all of that mm-hmm. the whole time, but he's unable to kind of see that himself. Well, that, again, Mark, like, he, he has a cockatoo. So, again, he does not have a this not but, a peacock. It's, <laughs> right. I understand. I, I'm not, I, I don't just, have I bird just, dysphoria. I know <laughs> what the differences are. Do, you don't? Do you not? But, but I, it's I, feeling like you do. But as you, especially as, he, as he's introduced and he's walking around Singapore and you see all the people that he knows and all this stuff, he is kind of the king of this domain that he has around him. And while he's aspiring for this great mansion, like the mansion. And in the end, he goes back to the mansion that he knows. And it's, I loved that you see somebody from the beginning who's trying to aspire to something bigger. And then in a way, in the end, he realizes that all the things he's aspired, he's aspiring to, we're right there, and so he's just going to stay where he is. And mm-hmm. I, I loved that about the movie, mm-hmm. especially in a society where we're all trying to aspire to these grandiose things that many of us will never achieve. And it, it it's so nice to see a movie that's like, you know, the things that you aspire to might just be right where you are right now. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. Heart, very heartwarming. <laughs> I, but here's the thing for this movie that should have been I actually on the poster I, no shit but for this movie I found uh, the, while it's not a heartwarming movie by definition there's a lot of heartwarming aspects to this movie yeah. when when Denholm Elliott or when Lee dies and he's sort of crying at the funeral the first time he's really kind of showing emotion and what incidentally why he, there's a funeral right there and the fact that that he's being cremated there and why he didn't go home is, is sort of, sort of another strange, element. but and his wife is seems another, very and, content to have yeah, them. His wife's just it. like, yeah, whatever. Just mail it. Jack. Ashes, I'm no going to stay deal. home. Yeah. Call no me big and tell deal. Me how it wrapped up. <laughs> it's incredibly sad. Mm-hmm. Um, but that really shows the, the depth of the movie. Like the characters have mm-hmm. a lot of depth and there's, almost like a backstory there that we never really got to just like the, the backstory with froggy and that mm-hmm. whole team. Like the, in there's another dimension where there's a movie right. just about those guys. Yeah, mm-hmm. for sure. And th- I would watch that movie. Um, and th- that's the great, one of the great things about this movie is there's so many layers that they touch on and they touch on in a very, they get just deep enough to get you interested, but they're like, I can't commit to this. We got to move on. But it keeps your interest all the way through the whole mm-hmm. thing. And like, what is really going on with Lee's backstory? I don't know, but it's fascinating. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, ben, when you have organized uh, screenings of this, do you serve frogettes? Uh, during this <laughs> at the screening, <laughs> or, gin and soda water with lime. <laughs> we we I haven't done that, but you know, and maybe uh, Plymouth Pink. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, right, right. Lots of ice, soda water. That's a good, the next time we do a screening, we will do some gin-based cocktails. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Large gin, kiss of lime, ton of ice, big glass, soda. 
Gem tonic. Apparently, that's all I'm going to get. It's not like this back home, is it, Smale? Um, Ben, what's something that you loved? Well, I think, you know, we've covered so much of it. You know, I love all the little small details. I love the way this, I mean, you know, the big thing for me is the is the non-professional cast, the Singaporean actors, the, 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 the expat actors as well, because even some of the small roles who are, um, uh, you know, Caucasian characters, they're played by expats. You know, like the American mm-hmm. guy who goes to the right. brothel in the, in the beginning of the film. He was an English teacher. He's great. Um, mm-hmm. You know, yeah, I love all of those performances. There's a couple that we haven't talked about. There's Jack's housekeeper, uh, mm-hmm. who you you guys mm-hmm. referred to earlier, who is always trying yeah. to get him to, to eat. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, she, I love that too. She speaks in such a specifically Singaporean way, like her intonation and her use of English. It is so local and so specific, and that is just so beautiful that they included that in the film and kind of made it a feature mm. of the film. I mm-hmm. also love the the character of Judy, who is Jack's like sidekick. Uh, she's like his his girlfriend in the office. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, and and yeah, she comes back a few great. times. She's the one that insults the British guys. She will mm-hmm. always kind of like come back to them when they're being almost slightly racist. She'll just yeah. tell mm-hmm. them to fuck off, mm-hmm. basically. And <laughs> yeah, she is really brilliant as well. Like the way that she mm-hmm. speaks and the way that she speaks English in this very Singaporean accent. Really, really great. So all of that building up of authenticity, all of those little elements, I just think make the film a real marvel and you know endlessly rewatchable, basically. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. yeah, we are completely in agreement on that. But Erica, what is something that you loved? Yeah, I, I agree with everything that's been said. The only thing I would add that I don't know if that we've touched on yet is I loved the touch of having... Um, the Singapore, the local girls, Singapore girls, you be like, oh, that's groovy or that's heavy or kind of like using <laughs> more American slang to either just relate to the customers or because it, it, to me, it felt very much like, you know, that friend or that, you know, college, you know, roommate or, you know, uh, person that you know who like went to uh you know london for a semester and they come back and now they're like cheers mate and you're like what you're from michigan like you don't say cheers you know yeah but just kind of adapting that because well you do ben but that's that makes sense you know (laughs) you might you might you might i should say kind of adopt people adopting that something that isn't it isn't, um, you know, particularly native to them, but adopting that to either like fit in or mm-hmm. look cool I or think stand that, that, out. That or stand is apart. very true of Singapore. That the the kind of international influences have a huge impact here. Yeah, and people I love do. That. You know, people do go away and come back with new accents. That mm-hmm. does happen. Mm-hmm. But also just that that wanting to be more cosmopolitan and more international. That is very true. Yeah. Hmm. I really like that. I like that a lot. Uh, something I loved. Uh, okay. I mean, we've already mentioned him, but Robbie Muller, uh, he is one of the first cinematographers, I think, that I ever recognized his name. And probably because of watching Repo Man a lot and Paris, Texas. And Robbie Muller, to me, was was one of the first names of, of cinematographers as I was learning, you know, watching more movies and learning uh, who made what that I was like, oh, if Robbie Mueller shot it, this is going to be good. Because, mm-hmm. and he shoots the hell out of this movie. Yes. It is so good. And listening to, to Bogdanovich's commentary, 
he often is mentioned. We shot this all in one shot. We shot this in one shot. This is one shot. Yeah. And I honestly feel like at, at one point I was kind of like, it's interesting that he's doing this because one thing you can say, whether you like Bogdanovich or not, is that he is a very natural raconteur and, you know, very interesting to listen to. And he's, he's done uh, commentaries on other movies and, you know, uh, Orson Welles movies and things like that. Very interesting commentaries. And he, he keeps talking about the shots. And I started going, you know what? He's as wrapped up in Robbie Muller's photography as I am. He just mm-hmm. is, you're just, it. he has a way of not trying to uh, make it too painterly, not to make it not feel natural, and yet is able to guide you in and, and make you look at certain things at, without it, you know, mm-hmm without it being heavy handed. I just think he has such a natural style and, and the way he shoots these scenes in one take with just sim- simple movements of either a push in or a push out or a move here. And, and, and it just looks terrific. The movie is just gorgeous to watch. The t- yeah. The timing of those camera movements is so important because otherwise those scenes can just die. They can just be yeah, so boring. hundred percent. And yeah. it, it, that really is like high level directing and camera work. And um, I mean, just to speak to that, I think again, unusual for a new world film, it was a 90 day shoot. Very unusual. Yeah. Highly Very unusual. I mean, I would imagine that most new world films would, you could get about five of them in that shooting time. That's right? about yes. 72 yes. days longer. Yeah. yeah. So what you would normally they have. Had <laughs> they had time. They had time to time. set up. They had time to light. Mm-hmm. They had time to rehearse. They had time to do yeah. quite a number of takes. And that is how you do it. Because the other thing wow. is you shoot one as because you're running out of time, right? You want to get all the dialogue done as quickly as possible with minimum coverage. Correct. But that was not the case here. They could have shot those scenes more conventionally, but they obviously just really took the time to make those scenes work and to get the timing and edit the dialogue. And so they just have this wonderful flow to them. Yeah, I mean, um, to your point, they spent three months in Singapore before the shoot. Another unusual aspect for any New World movie. You are going, you're... A couple weeks prep, three days, and you you just get in there, you go and do it. yeah. I yeah. think that has to be somewhat of the fact that he'd had a relationship with Bogdanovich already. And so there was a and, lot. And you can feel that trust there. from the first shot. Yeah. Which like, was the last I, I'm shot. I'm telling you. The first shot was the last shot. Well, yeah. it, it works because oh. from that first shot, I thought, oh, wait, we're watching a movie. Not a New World Pictures movie, <laughs> a movie. Well, also Just a New World Pictures the, movie. But 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 the way, yes, okay, I know. But the way it was, <laughs> the way that yeah. first one hundred eighty degree pan was, it was like, oh, this is this is well thought. Yeah, it <laughs> versus, was. Yeah, it showed like a uh, mm-hmm. a care from the yes. jump. Which you don't often yeah. get. <laughs> you know, no. it's, it's a lot because, like you said, you don't have time. It's a lot of like, hurry up and let's get the thing. To get back, to finish off my point about Robbie Muller, he did shoot one other New World picture. And it oh, was really? a, a, a movie outside of the Corman era. He shot Body Rock. Oh, Jesus. Oh. Which, if you've not heard of this, Ben... I've I've heard of it, and I think I must be aware that, that Robbie Muller shot it, but I you, you tell me more. And it is in it. that it is in that time period when everyone and, and particularly Canon Film Group was like, let's make break in movies. 
Uh, yes. And or movies about with rap in it. And <laughs> John Stamos in this one? Lorenzo Lamas. Lorenzo who, Lamas. Who directed, the other John who directed Body Rob? <laughs> Marcelo Epstein. Oh, okay. It's an interesting movie if you like Robbie Muller because it doesn't have the biggest stamp of oh, a Robbie Muller production. But um, Dance till you drop. And it, that said, I didn't look at it and think, boy, this is shot like hell. But I'm not, I didn't look at it and go, obviously, Robbie Muller. Right. Um, all right, let's switch to things we hated. Mark, what's something that you hated? I, I there, There's really not much that I hated in this movie, which is maybe a New World Pictures podcast first. <laughs> uh, I, I, and, I, yeah, I feel um, like this is a very unusual episode for you guys. Oh, it, it is. is. It is extremely it is. unusual. And I'm I'm honestly very uncomfortable. It's an but, uncharted um, territory. This is... <laughs> you're uncomfortable. <laughs> <laughs> but I think um, something... I, well, I didn't hate... Well, geez. Hated... I didn't like that Lee's funeral happened in Singapore when he wasn't from there. It just made me very sad. It's not mm. a thing I hated. It just made me sad. Um, to lose somebody, a family member, and to have them cremated and the ceremony to be done with the family in exile, or not, not because of political reasons, but just to not be there, and then his ashes are shipped. It's not fragile. It's just, she, the, the postman or the postwoman just dumps it on the ground. Yeah. Like, it, it just made me, it was just very sad. It it's is. It's not a thing I hated. Yeah. It was just in a, it, it really uh, was very poignant and stuck with me. Ben, Ben, do you know the song that they sing during that? It's some kind of standard British hymn, right? Mm. Okay. 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 And often sung at funerals is was was my assumption. But, I'm not um, sure about and that. And birthday but parties. Yeah, but it, yeah, it, it's a bit of an old classic. Yeah. Okay. What? <laughs> what is the classic hymn to sing at a funeral? <laughs> what is that a good one. classic? Like it's that one. If, yes. If you're it's getting used one. to funerals, uh-huh. you're like, oh, good, uh-huh. this one. Oh, I love this one. Okay, oh, that's, that's a good. hit. That's I love a hit. this. Is a strong one. I know it's a sad event. Obviously, it's a sad <laughs> thing, but this is a great song. <laughs> ben, is there anything about this movie that? You hated the only things I would change. I mean, they're definitely not things I hate. The, I mean, we talked about the, the CPR, CPR scene. The, I also think the gangsters. I mean, I feel like at least one of the gangsters is a bit miscast. You know, the, mm. the trio of three gangsters that keep following him around. Okay, uh, they're not quite as scary as they should be. Mm. That's mm. my. Yeah. and I think that they ran into that problem is they just weren't that many gangsters around anymore and they wanted to just cast people who looked the part but somehow they slightly missed it with them they're they're okay but they could be uh more sinister i think yeah there is one guy yeah. i can i see what you're saying when the three of them and they surround him in front of his house right well that there one is where like they a, have uh, the little person who's the boss mm-hmm. who's kind of like right, the gang boss right. that's great mm-hmm. and he's Which yeah. is brilliant terrific Why yeah he's so amazing he's so scary he's, he's so scary of all of them <laughs> and he's saying the most benign language yeah. and you're like oh this doesn't this is not good well he's yeah. he's talking about the pornography those Correct, porno right. makes he's got and recently everyone's got their own kink yeah, recently mm-hmm. someone discovered that there is a little extra bit on the original VHS release 
of Saint Jack, oh. huh. there's actually a tiny little bit more dialogue around those porno mags, and it's the reason it's cut out is because there is a, you see a much more explicit cover. Oh, and, okay. And, and it's it's an odd one because I've seen a print of Saint Jack, and I don't remember that, but I've been somebody literally last week sent me a video that they'd shot off the screen from their VHS copy that shows the difference between the two scenes. Huh. And that's the only example I know of there being some censorship related to the film. Hmm. And it's also, uh, especially at that time, uh, Playboys and things like that were not allowed. That was something Bogdanovich said that when he flew to Singapore, they asked him if he had any Playboys with him. Yeah, I, I, I think, yeah, porn was not legal in Singapore. Uh, but that, of course, that doesn't mm. mean it's not around. Oh, right, so fair, right, 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 yeah. right. Uh, yes, uh, yeah. As is always the case, then until now. Mm-hmm. Erica, what is something you hated? I don't think I hated anything. I yeah. really—that's what was so surprising to me about watching this. Yeah, I, I really didn't hate anything. It, admittedly, it ended, and I was disappointed. Which is very rare for me when I watch a new world. Usually I would say, it ends, and, and I think I would say I'm free. Rare. Yes. So this, though, I could have watched. I could have watched more. I, I guess that's the one thing that I hated is that it ended, and I felt like, ah, oh, but what? It was just getting going. No, like I, <laughs> you could see another Jack. another year in Jack's life. Yeah, absolutely. yeah, absolutely. Just watch the Big Lebowski. You got it. Yeah, that's the follow up. <laughs> that's the double feature. Well, uh, Killing of a Chinese Bookie is another one you can watch. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that's a good one. It's really one of my favorites of Cassavetti's. I think because a lot of them are a little. You might not like it, Erica, because they're a little talky. Cassavetti's but movies. This one was a talky, and I liked it. Yeah. Yeah, when done yeah. well, when well, done well, when done well. Yeah, yeah. that's what it. Yeah, uh, something I hated. So again, I struggled for this, but I will say the one thing I hated the poster. Oh yeah, yeah. the poster. The poster is it's just not great. The it, poster uh, with with Ben Gazzara and the two women flanking. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. 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 They were two models that aren't in the, in the film. Yeah, yeah. that aren't in the movie. Yeah. I looked it up because I was like, was this the original poster? It is. It's the poster that they had of the VHS. But that cover is not like, man, I got to throw this on. Like, it's just not. I think it does the movie a disservice. Yeah, it looks like it was done in the studio. It's very fake looking. It doesn't really kind of accord with the cinematography of the film. Yeah. And the two girls are, they don't really fit in either. Yeah, it's it's an unfortunate poster. I would um, love to have just seen like a a glass and like in the reflection of the glass is him or something like smokier just more interesting yeah Yeah. like a highball glass and in the reflection is maybe just him smoking a cigarette like more there there you go just something more (laughs) you know just more just more movie this more something more just more More. i solved it you know correct me if i'm right but that poster sucks There's a French there's a French poster which is like an illustration of Ben Gazzara on a wicker chair surrounded by girls which is which is a a, a lot nicer. There you go. Okay. Well then, yeah. Wicker makes all the difference. It makes a huge Always. difference. Yeah. Always. So let's get into a uh, favorite scene. Do you have a favorite scene, Ben? Uh, I mean, I've got tons of favorite scenes, but I was thinking about this and I one of the scenes I love and it kind of speaks to that just wanting to hang out with Jack and his in his world scene is when he wakes up in the house and he's just getting the coffee 
and uh, from his kind of like his his barman brings up breakfast, and he just sees the girls mm. out on the veranda. Monica's yeah. asleep, and the girls are all having a really nice time, and they're singing a song, and they're kind of like teasing him, and he's smiling. Don't you know any other songs for Christ's sake? Of course, no sweat. <laughs> And it's, of course, the calm before the storm because mm-hmm. after that, the gangsters show up and then everything goes downhill. But it's just yeah. such a lovely moment of it just is. being with Jack, hanging out and living that life, you know, and that it's as good as it gets. Mm, for sure. It's a great scene. Mm-hmm. Mark, your favorite scene? Favorite scene for me was when Jack goes to the airport to pick up Lee. It's just he's friends with the driver. He's friends with the guy at the at the the, the money exchange. He's friends with uh, the the jeweler and the the mini mark guy that has the 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 cigars. It's just it's one of those moments where you look at someone that here's a person that everyone knows. He, he it looks like he always takes time to say hello. He always like no matter how busy he is, and I think we all. Well, I can't. I'm not. I can't project for you guys. But to me, to be that person that always took time for everybody and everyone likes and everyone says hi to, like, like, what a great world to live in where you've been so generous with your time that everyone's like, that's a good person. I need to say hi to him wherever I go. Hmm. That's awesome. Yeah, Erica, your favorite scene. I think my favorite scene might be when they're at when they go to raffles. And they're in kind of the courtyard and they're talking with the other couple uh, when Lee and Jack go yeah. and they're speaking yeah, with yeah. the other couple. And that, 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 I, the woman who plays the wife is Lisa Liu, legendary mm-hmm. actress mm-hmm. who's in mm-hmm. Crazy Rich mm-hmm. Asians, plays the grandmother mm-hmm. in Crazy Rich Asians. Yes. And, she was, and she's she in was the known new to, TV series American Born Chinese as well, I think. And she was known to Corman because she had brought uh, and helped uh, direct the dub of The Water Margin, which is a movie that uh, New World Pictures put out. Ah, so, and yeah, she that's is right. A, so she, and she's a producer, I believe, in the film. She was brought um, in to help produce the film, and then they yeah. gave her a small part in the film. Yeah, Roger mm-hmm. sent her out because he kind of went, ah, she speaks Chinese. Mm-hmm. She might be useful. Yeah. And yeah. everybody fell in love with her. Uh, as as yeah. they should have. Ryan, my favorite scene. I have this clip, and uh, Mark, let's hit this clip. This is this is my favorite scene, and I'll explain in a second what it is. This is uh, that. Well, the army's still in the cat house business, Jack. But I guess you wouldn't be interested in that. Is he the one about the guy with the rash on his arm? Goes to a skin doctor. They try everything: creams, ointments, injections, no go. Finally, he goes to a specialist in Copenhagen. The doctor asks him, what do you do for a living? The guy says, I work in the circus. I give enemas to elephants. The thing is, you give an enema to an elephant, you have to shove your arm up its ass. The doctor says, that's it. You give up your job, I guarantee you the rash will go away. The guy says, what, give up show business? I mean, to me, this is, that's my favorite scene because I think that says the most to me about Jack. Mm Mm-hmm. He Mm -hmm. has an opportunity later after this to give up show business, if you will, and leave Singapore. But he doesn't because, Mm -hmm. like to your point, this is where he is. He This is what he wants to be. This is what he wants to do. And you can, I mean, however you feel about what he does, that's fine. But this is where he fits in. Um, 
to me, it feels like this, this is, this is a story about him. This is why he won't leave. I just feel like it says a lot about Jack. Jack doesn't want to, you know, maybe you could say like what you do is sticking your hand up an elephant's ass, but he's like, yeah, but this, I wouldn't want to give this up for anything, you know, no matter how dirty you may find this situation. So that's Jack to me. Yep. Um, That's where we're going to end it. That's it. Yeah. Uh, arm up an elephant's ass the yeah. end where else yeah. can you go where else can you go you guys can't give up now yeah you can't give up your new yeah. world podcast now because what else are you gonna do <laughs> that's yeah, right for sure. no we're gonna see this through to the end that's for sure ben uh ben thank you so much for joining us for this thank episode you, thank you yes, it's thank been you. a this total awesome. thank pleasure you so much i love talking to you guys about it and uh um you know maybe we can talk about another new world film at some point in the future that would be I, we would amazing. Love that. We would love that. Um, but for now, you have a book, and it is called Kinda Hot. Yes. How if, do people get a hold of this book? You can find me on Twitter, at Gone to Persia. Uh, that's my Twitter handle. And you can message me there, and I will let you know how to get hold of the book. For a small price, I will send you a copy of the book anywhere in the world. Love that. Awesome. I'm so happy to have it in my hands. I can't wait to read it, uh, because I am not done with this movie. I'm ready to watch it again right this second. Uh, thank you again for joining us. This has been amazing yeah, thank to, you to so hear your much. thoughts and get your insights on this film. We are so appreciative to you. Uh, everybody, get a hold of Ben. Follow him on Twitter. Get a hold of this book. Thank you so much for listening. If you want to hear more about our podcast, go to our website, newworldpicturespodcast.com. You can have all of our episodes are there. Our t-shirts, buy a t-shirt. Come on, help us out. Buy a t-shirt. And uh, we'll see you next time on the New World Pictures Podcast. Bye, everybody.